Welcome to the Three Priests Walk in a Bar podcast. Everybody could see Father Lou's hat because I think Father Lou's hat has won the podcast preemptively today. Yes, it's uh, I've never seen a priestly hat, like a collar on a hat. <laughs> I make I make everything sacred. <laughs> All right. Well, welcome back. Welcome back, everyone, uh, to the Three Priests Walking to Bar podcast slash YouTube channel. Um, if you're watching, you see I'm in a different location right now. I'm currently at my brother's apartment dog sitting for him. So if you see a little nose pop up on the side, then, uh, I'll, I'll get Remy to say hi to everybody. Um, but we are, we are back gathered around the virtual kids table to continue actually kind of some of the conversations we've been having. We've been on kind of this, kind of this streak of just like one episode leading into the next, um, because we've just got so, this is our first triple header. Yeah, we've just got so much hot air we need to blow. Uh, it takes it takes a few episodes. Uh, but I am I'm excited to see everybody. Um, it's mid afternoon right now, so on uh, a crisp September 25th, which is the beginning of fall. Fall has just started, which is going to play into our topic. But we'll get into that in just a second. Let's see how I set that up there. Get everybody's get everybody's mouths watering. Um, but first and foremost, we need to, we need to go around and, and describe our libations for everybody. So let's start. Um, I feel like we haven't started with Pastor Lou in a little while. So Pastor Lou, what do you have? All right. I'm in a, as you can gather with my funny hat, I'm in a childlike mood today. Um, and so I've got a childlike beer. Uh, <laughs> is that the coffee oh my gosh uh, i don't know how i feel about that take a look at this richness oh look at that go it's beautiful i don't know man oh. uh, that reminds me of a diarrhea that sometimes comes out of this dog's butt <laughs> uh, what, it, what it actually tastes like because i've had it before and i you know i had to get it in a six-pack so i got a six-pack of it it, it, it actually tastes a lot like, and I think it's supposed to, if you were to buy like a Starbucks coffee, you know, a mocha or something like that. So it's, it's, it's on the sweet side, but it's actually rated very highly on untapped. And I agree with that. If you like sweet, they rate it a 3.96. So is it a beer or is it a coffee? It is called a hard coffee. But is it like coffee with beer? Because that sounds disgusting if so. Um, it is Paps Blue Ribbon hard, huh? Hard coffee with a dash of milk. I imagine it's just some licky liquor thing, but oh, okay, sounds more like Irish coffee. Taps, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Maybe that's a mystery we'll have to work out. Maybe it's an ultimate mystery. <laughs> One of those things we will never know. But it's very good. Cheers. Oh yeah, what what is uh, what is the ABV on there? 
It's five percent. That's I thought I remembered seeing that. Yeah. No, <laughs> and that's even too much for him to handle. <laughs> no, it just went down the wrong way. Uh huh. That's, that's what they all say. I remember. I remember my first beer. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Well, all that's right. kind of my reaction to a lot of our conversations. <laughs> <laughs> Rightly so. All right, Father Adam, what do you uh, what do you have? I saw you uh, describing it earlier while I was grabbing mine. Well, in the similar vein to Father Lou, although. I can't, I mean, I'll try it just because it's enough of an oddity that I'm going to have to buy it one day uh, because we've, it's come up at least twice in our conversation. So I'm going to have to try one, but we both have very discerning tastes in beer. Uh, and we appreciate things like uh, uh, that one from uh, Rhode Island. Uh, what was that one called? Oh, Narragansett. Yeah. By the way, I have Narragansett turkeys in my in my farmyard. Um, two, two, well, three, well, now two because one's in the freezer. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I have because I appreciated the color of the can for for autumn. I have a a, uh, uh, a few tins of Nasty Bow or N- National Bohemian Natty Bow, um, otherwise known as Nasty Bow, because only the best for me. So when you say that, are we talking like lower than Pabst? Um, you have got to have a little bit of proximity in your life to Bal- Balmer, hun, uh, to, to Baltimore, uh, to appreciate uh, Nasty Bow. Nasty Bow is a porch-sitting, blue-collar beer. Gotcha. Uh, no, it, it's swill. It's Baltimore swill. But it, it's it's got a pedigree because it's, it's Baltimore swill. <laughs> <laughs> it is by no means anybody's estimation of a good beer, but it's a working man's beer. Well, it's, gotcha. it's actually got a, a relatively decent rating, but that could be partly because people grew up with it. Yeah, but it's like two point nine six on on the app um, for what that's worth. And orange is one of my favorite colors, so you know the can. You know, I, I, w- I was judging a book by its cover. Yeah, that that was one of the um, it. Where we went to school at Virginia Military Institute, there was one place that was a former gas station turned into a restaurant. And that kind of gives you a hint of the type of place it was, right? And Wait, I didn't register that. A former gas station turned, turned into, into a, a restaurant. restaurant. And right. and it and they had all the beer lined up against the wall. It was it was a local yokel hangout, right? It was the kind of place the the country folk like to go to. Mm-hmm. But the lady there that owned it, it was it was it was called Estelle's. The Estelle loved cadets, and it was a place that we were allowed to get a little bit out of uniform and just relax. the The tactical officers wouldn't come by or anything like that. Um, allowed like special arrangement. So so it was a place to be casual. They used to sell National Bohemian for fifty cents a beer. Dang, here so here. That was the drink of choice back then. And so I have an affection for it. It reminds me of good old times. If you guys are familiar with the Capitol Ale House on, on um, oh, Main sure. City, a good venue for music too. Main Street? Yeah, Main Street and the business. Oh, yeah. I've seen some shows there. Um, it used to be right when they were really trying to make the downtown relevant again. Um, and so this came before its time. If it hadn't, it would have still been there, but it, it didn't survive. But it was called Fireballs. Uh, it was in that location, mm. and 
they had a big like like a household oil tank uh like you'd have when your house burns oil for heat and from that was a, a gas nozzle like you'd fill your car with at the at the filling station and that was uh their source of pbr and, and <laughs> they'd use a gas nozzle to fill pbr in the uh in the pint glasses <laughs> that's great i'm sure they didn't clean it out all the way too they probably had a little bit of oil residue household oil who would know who could right. exactly see that's the thing <laughs> that's actually what's in the can of paps uh, <laughs> That, uh, that I, looked, I looked it up. It says it's coffee-flavored malt beverage. Malt beverage. Hmm. That's, uh, so that's kind of sus. <laughs> Father Nick, what do you what do you have? Well, I, I've I've actually been inspired by you, sweet baby Nick. Oh boy. I uh, I've got here a uh, Southern Tier Warlock Imperial Pumpkin Stout. Yeah. Okay, a pumpkin stout. Nice. Ew, where'd you pick that? Um, this came from uh, Whole Foods, actually. Oh, okay. They probably have it at Total Wine too. It's a very, it's a very good beer. What do you think they have at Caboose? Maybe. And what it's called? It's called what now? Say it one more time. So, Southern Tier Brewing Company. Southern and, Tier Brewing. And it's called the Warlock Imperial Pumpkin Stout. Okay. Oh, nice, nice. Can it all? I'm sorry. Does it taste like pumpkin spice? Everything. Uh, so so it, it's got it's got pumpkin flavor, of course, but but it's not overwhelming. So it, it's just I, I I'd say it's just the right balance. I mean, some of them that you get, it's it's too much. This is definitely not too much. Hmm. Is it causing you to wear your Uggs? <laughs> That's right. That's trying to get him to admit that he has Uggs. I thought, we, I thought we decided, Father Adam, that you were the basic white girl in the last episode. I'm going to get him a pair of Uggs for Christmas. You guys just make me say Uggs all the time. Uggs. We, are, we are the Uggs. Well, for me, I've, I picked up something just like really random. I was up in uh, Lynchburg visiting, visiting, some, visiting a friend or some friends. Yeah, I saw more than one person. Um, this past weekend and I was in one of the, um, I can't even remember where I was, but they had like this, this whole fridge next to the, uh, next to the checkout that had a bunch of craft breweries craft brews in it. And I saw this one and I was like, that'd be great for the, for the podcast. So this is something called, I was totally judging a book by its cover. I've never even heard of this Buffalo Bills brewery, which I don't even know where that is. Um, doesn't even tell me, they don't even want to tell me. Um, this is the darkest of them all, uh, black pumpkin oatmeal stout. So yeah, I did. Um, it says a creamy oatmeal stout with rich layers of pumpkin spice and chocolate notes. Black pumpkin oatmeal stout boasts a smooth roasted malt flavor, subtle sweetness, and the aroma of pumpkin creme brulee. Now, I don't know if it quite lives up to the creme brulee um, feel. It actually, um, it tastes more like a brown ale. Um, am I? Because it's not, I mean, I don't know how well you can even see that on the video. It's not the darkest, it's not the darkest stout I've ever poured. Um, but it still tastes pretty good. It's not, um, it's just little hints of sweetness here and there. It's still fairly dry. Um, but I like it. It's nice and, it's nice and robust. A little bit, 
little bit less robust than say like an imperial stout um, um, or some of the porters I think I've had, but I like it. It's pretty good. I recommend checking them out. I don't even know where they're located. ABV is uh, 7.9%. Ooh, I think he wins it again. Unless Father Nick, what was on yours? 8.6. Ah. Ooh. Missed it by that much. Oh. We have a winner. Everybody be really careful about pushing Father Nick's buttons today. (laughs) (laughs) All I know know is I'm going to challenge Pastor Lou to a game of Dungeons and Dragons. That's all. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) We've had some interesting. Well, maybe we can get into that later. Yeah, that's Um, what I was. I was going to address that controversy later. Because we have had some interesting um, buttons pushed in the in the facebook group among us all so as we're getting into the topic um we are yeah oh yeah all in good all in in good humor um as we're getting into the topic we are addressing since it has officially turned um turned as it officially as officially changed over to fall so we were past september 21st whenever whenever it was um so it's officially fall. We are going to be talking about the fall um, in the Christian understanding, meaning the fall of the first humans from the innocence in the garden to being sinful creatures and thus sort of putting us all in the, uh, having us all being born in the sinful state in need of redemption. Um, what that means, because different traditions take different views on it, Um, A lot of the views are like two ways of saying the same thing. Some are legitimate differences, and I'd like to I'd like to dig in on that a little bit. So um, whose idea was it to bring this up? And we'll let them go first. Well, I think, you know, the reason I brought it up, though, because Father Nick asked Father Adam a question regarding the fall in our last last episode. But maybe Father Nick doesn't remember the question. No, no. I, so I, I, I do. I actually had to remind Father Adam on, in our uh, little messenger group right before we got on. Uh, so I'm, I'm happy to kind of pick it up. Yeah. The question and, and direct it to Father Adam and then then we can kind of go. From there. But these, these fellows think I have time to remember the, what we were talking about, you know, two weeks ago. I work for a living, so I don't know about them, but, you know, <laughs> But what it is, is we actually go back and listen to our podcast, uh, Father Adam. I, what, what are you doing? I mean, that's why it only has three listens, because we baby Nick are the only ones who've gone back and listened to it. Uh, so so what, what it come up, uh, we were talking about angels last time. And this is actually an interesting point, because uh, when we talk about the fall, uh, sometimes we talk about it in terms of uh, the fall of uh, humanity. So we talk about Adam and Eve in the garden and original sin or, or, and that kind of thing. Or sometimes we talk about it in terms of the, the cosmic or celestial fall of the angels. Uh, in, and so you, I mean, you even see that in, in um, uh, St. Augustine's great work, City of God. He he makes that connection between the two. And we had been talking about angels, and um, Father Adam said something we've actually heard him say uh, several times, I think, which is that a difference between humans and angels is that 
humans have the opportunity as as beings living in time we have the opportunity to repent uh so even though we sin we can repent of our sins but angels don't have the opportunity to repent uh and his explanation for this is that angels are eternal and so my question to father adam was if angels are eternal therefore not in time not bound by the category of time uh and and also that implies traditionally in theology that they're immutable or unchanging then uh how did they fall in the first place and i i know what i think about this but i'm interested in what father adam thinks about this oh i'm sure you know what you think about it that's <laughs> right we know he knows what he thinks we'll probably well, hear it in a few minutes it's kind of a question that you can on the one hand dismiss with saying oh no <laughs> do you know why we have these traditions i'll tell you i don't know Te- Tevia will will also tell you. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> For those who are not watching the podcast but listening, I'm holding up a beautiful statue of Tevia that I happen to find at an antique store. What's a Tevia? <gasps> and it looks very much. My like heart is wounded, off. sweet baby Nick. <laughs> he asks me who is Tevia. Not only is Tevia the coolest character ever in cinematographic uh, history, but he's also kind of my avatar uh, tradition. Um, the answer the to roof. Father Nick's... What's that? Fiddler on the roof. Fiddler oh, on the roof. okay. Sorry, I okay. forgot to fully answer your question, <laughs> baby Nick. I like to leave things hanging for, for other podcasts. Um, Not only does he forget <laughs> from last episode, he forgets from a minute ago in this episode with the... <laughs> I, 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 that that movie, uh, Fifty uh, uh, First Dates with uh, Ten Second Tom. That's you know I fall into that category. Um, uh, we can dismiss the or not dismiss the question, but really fully answer it by saying I don't know. But to unpack that, I don't know. <laughs> but it's still well, these thank are you for joining our podcast this week. <laughs> yeah, so this has been a great episode. Um, we'll see y'all next time. <laughs> Somebody cue the national anthem. <laughs> so do you have, do you want to take any time to try to consider the the fall in general then or? Well, I, I'm gonna real quick answer Father Nick. You know, okay. in the general in a general sense. Um, you don't know, but you're gonna speak anyway. I got. I you. don't know, but I will pontificate for a little bit longer. Um, of course, it's all a matter of on some level speculation. Although I don't like to call it that. It. it, it even Thelagumina, uh, that's probably not probably the right one either. But um, we approach these questions in the context of linear time. <laughs> How could they have fallen if they were eternally always immutable and always the same? Would they not then always have been in um, opposition to, to, to God and to Christ? Would they not have always had their 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 pride and will at the forefront and been eternally damned from the moment that they were made to exist but even all the words i'm using suggests time it, that they were made or brought into being all this suggests 
we are so wedded to linear thinking and understanding and categories that we can't even really consider outside of that. So in our own, even our logic is based on the limitations of space-time. I don't want to get too fuzzy and metaphysical, but uh, all of our questions would come from a heart that is mercifully given the gift uh, of being able to repent uh, and, and given the gift of time. So if the angels are damned because of their choices, choices even suggests a moment in time to us. Because we can't conceive of a choice made outside of time. We can't even wrap our minds around the possibility, the metaphysical possibility of a state of being that did not happen in time. Any choice suggests a moment that the choice was made. Logically speaking, our logic is not necessarily going to find its comfort or its purchase in the rocky, loose gravel of metaphysics. It just doesn't apply. And if we try to say that it does, it becomes, <coughs> excuse me, wild speculation. Sometimes you could say that the fathers, well, we might say they were speculating, they were actually speaking through the spirit. So when they, when they spoke, they spoke because there was a purpose for our salvation. And beyond that, when asked to give more details about the house or what have you, many of them, especially when they were truly humbled, they would say, we don't know. You know, they'd say, we can't explain further. This is the limit of my understanding. Um, but to say, you know, because angels are fallen and eternally fallen, they can't be redeemed, is kind of taking us to the, to the pinnacle of our understanding of eternal, of eternal existence. We don't understand the way that is. We, we can't. It's not even in our, in our human categories to interact with. But we do know this about angels. It's been, it's been taught to us. It is tradition uh, that angels are eternally damned because of their choices. And we are given this mercy of, of, of change and, and transformation, which takes place eternally, but takes place in a fixed point in space and time for each person. Um, I don't know how much more I could unpack that without saying the same things differently <laughs> well father, father before, before you move on to talking uh taking on the question of the fall or, or the topic of the fall more generally I, now my and and you know i'd be interested in if you have a response to this my my reading of the church fathers and mothers um is that um eternity and immutability are divine attributes applicable to God uh, and not necessarily to angels. The a angels are created beings and therefore are not eternal, uh, that, that though they, they're part of the created order and therefore though they ha may have a different relationship to time and space than we do. And this came up some also in, in the Facebook group that, that because they are part of the created order, they're not eternal and uh and therefore uh you know that opens up the possibility for talking about change uh even if they don't change after a certain point through the grace of god well 
you know, we talk about aeonic time, eternal time, you know, which is to say timeless. Um, and again, eternal in the sense that, yes, of course, they're part of the created order, but their essence, their the very... The, the stuff from which they're made, again, we're using terms that suggest time, um, is from eternal things. So we can only interact with that from a fixed point. Understanding eternal creation as, as you know, because they're part of the created order, we understand that in a space-time context. Um but they are different of a different substance. And, you know, how are they not? I mean, the, the, the essence of God being eternal and before all things, before anything was, I am. Obviously, that is not an attribute of, a, of an angel, uh, of an angelic power, of a bodiless power of heaven. Um, we don't, I don't think, have the ability to really get into too much of the minutia of how that's possible. Uh, but we accept that angels are eternal beings in their own kind of way. Um, I think it would be maybe a fool's errand to unpack it even farther, because at the end of the day, we're going to at some point reach the terminus uh, and say, but I don't know. Why does it, why does we, why do we talk about this in the tradition? I'll tell you why. I don't know. Um, and, 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 with regard to fallenness and, you know, man's salvation, I think sometimes we can get ourselves stuck in the mud spinning our wheels in something that ultimately becomes distraction at the end of the day. I mean, I can get real nerdy about it, <laughs> but uh, I think I might be bested by, by those who are better than me at that. <laughs> Nick. What? <coughs> <laughs> <laughs> Does that sort of put us at a segue for the topic? Because <laughs> we all kind of got quiet there for a second. That doesn't um, usually happen. Whoever <laughs> wants to, I mean, one of us can, whether Father Adam wants to continue or Lou or, or myself, one of us can pick up on just just the, the fall in general. I mean, maybe maybe even changing the focus from the angelic fall to the, to the fall of uh, humanity. Well, I know... Um, well, I, I won't say I know. Um, I'm aware that there could be some particular differences between like East and West, especially as concerns um, Augustine's influence. Um, so I know most most of our listeners are more probably, even if unconsciously, are, are more aware of the Western view. So I'd like to maybe start with a Western view, then get an Eastern view, and then... Well, since we've got two Westerners, start West, go East, end West, and then <laughs> we heard that. <laughs> um, I, I think we need to hear from Pastor Lou. We've heard enough from me and Father Adam for right now. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> He's just setting the table for him to 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 have the final long soliloquy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. He is, and you know it. He doesn't fool anybody. 
Excuse me. It's the fall's been rough for me with asthma and stuff. So sorry if my voice kind of gets crazy. Forgot to hit the mute button. (laughs) Clearing out my lungs there. Sorry, folks. Uh, And while I'm apologizing, let me apologize to those that were offended last episode um, and on the Facebook page. I appreciate that folks talked with me about it and it was respectfully done. Okay, maybe for the most part, my 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 argument wasn't too strong, but that's all right. I can live with that. Um, Anyway, I do know and I recognize that I conflated the um, role playing games and other things with some things that have a a, a occult reference to them. The intention was just to give an example of how things can lead us astray because we were talking in terms of discernment. And in my history working with delinquency and in criminal justice, the discussion of some role-playing games that refer to spirits, demons, other things like that, not specifically one, just one game, has had cases, case histories that I was, you know, introduced to through study um, to that they would bulk those together. That doesn't mean that a game is a cult. But it was, it was in terms of resiliency factors and risk factors. And and that's why, like, with parents, you know, like I have a friend, because TV can lead you astray as well. I have a friend that in his household with the kids growing up, he limited their television watching where they were barely watching any. But he supplemented their world experience. I mean, they traveled all over the world and did other things, and they've come out quite well. But that's not going to be the same answer for everyone. But I just lifted it up as an anecdote for conversation based on what we we're talking about with discernment and how you can be led astray. And um, even as uh, Sweet Baby Nick alluded to that sometimes when you, uh, at least some folks argue that if you're playing with the occult, that maybe there you could be weak to it or something like that. But maybe we can talk about that more in the future. Um, but in general, just uh, didn't my intention was not to insult anyone, but the one thing I do uh, that I cannot recant about is that uh, Father Nick is stuck in his hair splitting <laughs> sophistry. That I will not recant. Uh, um, him and Thomas Aquinas, and 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 I know some people think I'm stupid for uh, dissing him, but I'm in good company with Martin Luther, and it's it's again I'm not thinking he's a stupid guy. I just think it's a wasteful time. So getting into the, as a segue um, with Father Adam when he says, "Well, we don't know, we don't know," and I think we kind of lean towards that with a lot of Lutheran theology. We're okay with resting in the mystery of things. We don't have to to do any kind of mental gymnastics to make it work out. But that doesn't mean people haven't discuss these issues because Luther did get largely affected by the Augustinian thinking. Um, but um, anyways, I, I did have to review some stuff for this class because I'm more involved with like um, pastoral care uh, things, you know, working with people with trauma issues that deal with that. That's where I'm, I spend a lot of my reading time of late, but um, with, with Martin Luther, you know, it, with Lutherans in general, you're going to find some because it's a it's a huge um, variety of Lutherans that exist, and some are more fundamentalist in their approach to Scripture, and some are not. Some would be very much like those folks I alluded to that very feel uncomfortable with anything that bodes of any kind of 
spiritual interaction or, you know, anything they would lean towards as a mythic kind of story. Um, as and, concerns, uh, as concerns, what, just for clarification? Well, like Adam and Eve or whatever. Okay. You know, just, you know, that it's a, it's a, it, it, there, there, there's some that are, are going to take it as if it's literal. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's a wide variety in between. And I'm, I'm, I'm open to that. Uh, you know, I'm in the middle of big surprise uh, where, where folks, you know, that there may be some kind of history that is captured in that shared memory that comes out over time. And that was saved in a revelation to people over time. They recognize this story as sacred. But anyway, I'll talk a little about that in a minute. But with, with Luther, you know, sin is a little bit more than a misstep. Sin is actually um, part of us as a fallen human being, as a consequence of the fall, however you define it. And um, at its root is our separation from God, our our, our uh, fighting with God in a sense, enmity. Uh, sin alienates us from God and gives us a, a it can it can actually make us resist God and the grace that God offers us. And so in our sin, we can't know God. In our fallen nature, we can't know God unless God reveals, the triune God reveals itself to us. And so that's why we look at even faith is a, is a gift from God. It's, it's something we're called into that the spirit's the initiator. And so that's why it's a little um, different for us uh, we don't, uh, in the way we evangelize and understand how God works in the world, there's an element of God's part of that, even for our understanding of scripture, God's part of that. And so we we have to trust God and seek God and cooperate with the grace that's offered them, uh, offered us. Um, bon, Bonhoeffer is another theologian that folks can read his uh, discussion of creation and fall. It's in a great edition uh, that you can get from Augsburg Fortress Press. Uh, Augsburg, I think they just called AugsburgFortress.com, uh, but it's a it's a it's now in paperback. I have the hardback copy, and I've, I used it much in the past. But the um, Bonhoeffer's Volume Three of that collection talks about his exegesis. I think he used it in some classes in his lectures, and that book comes kind of out of that that Adam and Eve went from knowing and loving God to hating and fleeing from God. Um, I like to personally think that even as God saw them fleeing, hiding, whatever, in their nakedness, that there's evidence that God still loved them and prepared for uh, how um, we would eventually be saved through Jesus right from the start, you know, Mm -hmm. in the way that they, they were provided some kind of clothing, they were provided with some kind of guidance and they continue to be through prophets and whatnot. Um, And so I don't necessarily see uh, it's, it's catastrophic in some ways, but God never gave up on us. God never stopped loving us. It wasn't pure only punishment, but anyway, God did promise somebody to, to come to, to fix the, the fall, the, the fallen nature that we struggle with, to crush the serpent's head. And Jesus is the, the, that promise fulfilled. And so that's where we look to. And one of the things you find with, with Bonhoeffer, not too unlike what Father Adam was suggesting 
with that discussion of the angels falling is that there's an element that we just can't know that early history and that he, he seems to argue that that might be kind of a, a fruitless endeavor to get too far beyond the behind the curtain of what actually happened there. But what we can concentrate is the answer to whatever happened. And that's with the revelation of Jesus Christ. And, and, and so, and, and he also argues that the idea of us running from God is a, is, is really kind of a stupid answer to this problem. The, our, our sinful nature can't return to God on its own, but we can grasp onto the hope in, in Jesus. We need grace. We cooperate with that grace within community. And, and he did focus a lot of his writings about community. Um, and so like the Adam and Eve, we're given trust in, we're asked to trust in the promise. Um, there's, a, there's another guy that you might like reading. Um, he, he's not very popular these days, but it was with that trend of what was called liberal Protestantism of the late 1800s, early 1900s. And the, um, his name is Trelch, Ernst Trelch, and, and uh, T-R-O-E-L, um, I think it's T-S-C-H, isn't it? Um, anyway, you could f- figure it out, but he, he gets dismissed later on with uh, with like Bart and other folks, little neo-orthodox kind of getting back to roots. But but they he theologians like him would focus on kind of how God can be found in the lived out history around us. To kind of a as as I have a, a degree that comes out of the tradition of sociology, I related it um, related to it some that um, that you know mythic doesn't equal myth. It doesn't mean God's devoid of it, uh, but there's a historic sociology and ethics that worked out over time. And so we may see echoes of the truth in in how we live throughout cultures. Um, There's an openness to primordial, you know, understandings of things. Um, He says that God is only God and God's being believed in and loved by finite spirits. And, and so creation is finished when, when that, when that um, drawing back into God is, is completed and that, that the key, the, the, the movement is towards greater unity, um, but not necessarily purely spiritual unity. It's, it's worked out in history and it's, and in time and um, as God's justice is established. Now there's going to be a lot of liberal, um, that's a more liberal take on things, but um, you know, I don't agree with everything 100% by any means, but I do find that that kind of investigation and application of scripture through that kind of lens, reflecting upon the na- fallen nature of the world that we all know so well, intimately, is a, is a strong way to approach theology, wrestle with issues in, in a sense of an ethical way. Um, and, and so, um, you know, Kind of like uh, with Bonhoeffer, the, the, he he kind of draws on some things, but he's I don't know. Nick, would you say he's more neo-orthodox, or would you say he's more liberal? Yeah, no, I, I'd say in the end he's he's more neo-orthodox, more Bardian than he. I mean, he's definitely yeah. been influenced by the by the liberal Protestantism, but he, he ends up being more Bardian. Are we still talking about Trolch? Now we're Trouch? moving to Bonhoeffer. 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 Okay. Yeah, Bonhoeffer. Um, you know, from uh, from that start of that lecture that he was dealing with, you know, he kind of felt like, you know, even with the um, that we're kind of in the middle right now of time, you know, of, of this whole process, and um, and 
the beginning speaks to us, but um, while we're in the middle, so we can't really fully capture that, the essence of what things are going on. But the one thing that I think that is is throughout the, that was Lutheran voices is that we are we are that God represents a, a kind of freedom and liberation to us, and the the God of um, frees us for something um, rather than freedom from something. And that comes out a lot in um, Luther's, uh, it's a great thing to read this year because of the 500th anniversary of the publication of uh, the, um, the, the Freedom of a Christian. It's got little different names, but, but that, that would be a great thing for folks to read with kind of thinking about where we're at and how we're justified. Um, but being good comes from God and God created us to be free for God, for good, for interrelationship with others. And so that's kind of where um, those guys come from. Anyway, um, again, grasping beyond that middle place that we're at can be problematic. And so you're not going to find me delving too deep into why we do what we do. But I do accept the fact that we're fallen. We struggle with sin and in a very Lutheran way, um, say we're kind of bent inward on ourselves. We're kind of prone to selfishness, kind of short-sightedness, things like that. But that doesn't mean humans aren't beloved by God or redeemable through Jesus, through the Holy Spirit sanctifying us. We are, we are being restored. And we'll see the ultimate restoration in the end of time with, a, with a, the second coming of Christ. So I kind of babbled all over the place probably, but I hope there was some some unity to it, some trajectory to it. There wasn't. Who's next? <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. <laughs> well, at least I wasn't hee-hawing as Father Nick is going to do. Remember earlier this week, that insult from Luther? No, but I, I would, I would kind of like to kind of focus on the, on the idea of that that sort of inability that comes with being a part of being being a part of the fall i think um augustine phrased it in such a way that was uh, for, forgive me if i completely slaughter the latin here i i did not take latin in in high school or college or anything like that i think he described Lat, uh, he described Adam and Eve as um, like uh, passe pecare or something like that. Like it's possible for them. It was possible for them to sin. And then when we fell, we were non passe, non pecare, not possible not to sin. And then when we're redeemed, we are passe, non pecare. We are possible not, it is possible not to sin. Um, are you talking about Augustine of Canterbury or that heretic from Hippo? I'm talking about that that well well lo- well beloved saint from Hippo. Maybe it's a different one that we're talking about. <laughs> one that the Orthodox Church calls Saint Augustine of Hippo. So I would be curious because that that's um, defines a lot of the church's theology around the fall. That like as yeah. we are fallen creatures, it is not possible outside of redemptive work. It's not possible for us not to sin, and that has gotten translated into things like original sin and even in some in some circles I don't ascribe to this particularly but in some circles original guilt um, is is part of that too 
Um, so I would, I would love to hear Father Adam's thoughts on, on that in particular. He teaches, he, he gave this sly little grin. He's like, my time has come. Say we're all doomed. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, well, Augustine, and I know that it's not necessarily fair to, to, to make sweeping and, and summarizing, uh, accusations against Augustine. I know that he had deeper uh, layers like an onion or or, or uh, an ogre, uh, a la Shrek. Um, but I think one of the fatal flaws in Augustine's understanding of original sin was that he really seemed to focus on our inherited guilt of Adam's original sin that, that, uh, we're all not only born with the consequences of fallenness of, of Adam and of Adam's sin, but with the guilt as if we ourselves committed it, we inherited that guilt. It was an ancestral guilt. Now, it's not within the scope of this podcast to go in all of the rabbit trails that I would love to go on, especially with regard to guilt versus shame. That's an entire thing in and of itself, but suffice it just to say they are not the same thing. Guilt and shame. Shame is grace tangible. Guilt is non-dynamic choosing of death. Um, guilt will never save you, but, but shame will, um, will we'll be part of your salvation. Shame is just that which makes you aware of your own fallenness and that which is, is, is grace in action. Um, but again, that's a, that's a, another rabbit hole. Um, but Augustine's take on original sin was incorrect. It is what gave birth to the error of the teaching of the Immaculate Conception of the Mother of God, which is wholeheartedly rejected by the church. Um, it was a logical fallacy that because of Augustine had to be dealt with. So in a way you could say it's understandable. Orthodox church. What's that? You mean Orthodox church. <laughs> well, Orthodox and church, I think the two are fairly interchangeable. <laughs> no, but the listeners may not. The listeners may not. He doesn't care about the listeners. <laughs> Orthodox and church are obviously the same. Big O Orthodox and church. Nick, he doesn't love them like we do. Big O Orthodox and big C church. Oh, um, <laughs> now I will say this, and this might've been my piece de resistance or the, the, my ending piece. And I might should save it, but you know, whatever. With re- oh man, there's so many rabbit trails. Gosh, which one? Um, with with regard to sin in general, man's single most effective or effective significant contribution to the cosmos is sin. Because think about what happened in the abundance of God's love. He he said let us make man in our image not because he needed man but because his love was such that man was a natural uh consequence of his abundant love um again the only creature made to be intimately in communion with him so much so that he became man uh so that man could become god um but 
consider that before our most significant contribution to the cosmos, there was never another, never ever such a concept, uh, an idea. There was never a, the, the, the very idea of it never existed, of forgiveness. This was the Lord's magnanimous, abundant love that was the response to man's sinfulness. We should have been damned. We should have been swept off the table and said, you know, well, that was a dumb idea. Let's think of something else to do with our time. Um, but his, his response, almost without... I, I, I was, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm using the word improperly, but his almost involuntary response was forgiveness. We rejected and 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 walked away in, in a sense, and, and his response was not rage but forgiveness. And there was never a concept of forgiveness before man sinned. Like I believe that proves God in a way. Um, and uh, man, there's another bunch of rabbit trails that I really want to go down, but I'm going to remember our time constraints. Um, but I just want, I, I would like to leave people with that at any given time. Give, give him your best. Give, him, give, give the Lord your worst. He'll, he'll have a better response than you'll think. Um, and and, and the, that forgiveness, that love, that, I mean, which resulted, of course, in the incarnation, which resulted in the fullness of revelation, which was uh, the Trinity, you know, uh, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit at the time when Christ was baptized in the Jordan, this was the last revelation that God would ever give to mankind about himself and who he was. And therefore, really, who man was in relation to that. Um, fallenness all of a sudden takes on a different character, a different understanding. And the depths of, of God's mercy, Christ's mercy and love for mankind is shown there. Uh, so when we talk about the fall, I know that we tend to do that in the context of maybe a Western mindset, maybe even a Jonathan Edwards <laughs> type of, you're screwed and you're terrible and, and you're depraved and, and, and such. But uh, that's really not the approach that, that I think the, the Orthodox would take to, to something like that and understanding. Before, before Nick gets into his uh, love affair with Thomas Aquinas or whoever he's going <laughs> to hear about today, from a pastoral perspective, just um, one of the things I found helpful with like Bonhoeffer is when he differentiates the, the recognizing that we're in the image of God compared to being trying to be like God, trying to be like God is that reaching out for knowledge and other ways that we start to basically play as if we're God ourselves. And, and so with that understanding we understand that trying to strive to be like God is out. It's kind of out of that bounds. It's kind of like the, the original humans in the story reaching and, and grabbing that apple. Um, with that, with that operative within us, it can be hard for us today, not only to see what happened in the past, but also to discern what is good and what is bad. Uh, you know, what's the light and what's, more like a Lucifer, you know, evil thing around us. And so it's, it's kind of, again, he's, he's arguing about that we are in that 
lecture anyway, he talks about that we're kind of grasping beyond what we were created to be. And that's, that's our problem. I think uh, one of the uh, instructors I had for Old Testament, um, Dean McBride, who helped translate the New Revised Standard Version, he often talked in terms of hubris. You know, it's that, that pride, right? And, and so um, I think that's where orthodoxy tends to get it right when they focus on humility a lot. Um, I, th I think that's uh, when I'm trying to help someone that's dealing with addiction or other things, it's not so important for us to wrestle with, with you know, what, what exactly it means to be fallen, but to understand that we somehow as human beings are implicitly imperfect, are gonna make lots of mistakes, but forgiveness is, is ours through Christ. Forgiveness is ours to be had and grace is being reached out to us. It does free you from that bondage of the old Adam and you can move forward with the help of, with, with the help of uh, grace. And so, and so I think, I think, um, you know, again, this is a, for me, I'm sure it's not for Father Nick, but for me, it's a difficult topic, right? Because I, I'm, I'm not going. I, I, quite honestly, even though I've, I've read um, that that work I quoted from Bonhoeffer after I got out of seminary, I bought it and I read it. That's kind of pushed to the back of my brain, right? Um, because it's not some. It's foundational, but it's not something I'm going to draw on with people that are that are getting counseling. So I think it's important this conversation. But depending on what our call is and how we're working and living with people, I think that's going to make a difference. Sure. And, and I'm, I'm curious, would you, would you not also agree in, in some sense there is still that necessary element of, I, I, I know, um, Father Adam, you, you sort of, I, I, I don't want to use the term de-emphasize, but that's the only word that I, I have right now. I, I know it's not the right word. Um, the sort of shame and guilt that comes with knowledge of the fall, but there there is still an element of that that is necessary as far as like for redemptive purposes. There's a, there's an element that yeah, and that you know these are words we're trying to encapsulate this bigger concept, and so they're going to be limited just because they're words, uh, human words. But yeah, that comes up a lot with counseling, differentiating between guilt and shame. Um, you know, and and then huh. It's an extremely important distinction. Yeah. Can can you distinguish a little bit in between them? Just because, like, in, I in really look at them as opposites. They're they're actually opposites, um, and and as with many English words, we have been trained to understand them improperly, like forgiveness and forgetting. Yeah. Like, right. A forgiveness is a very misunderstood word. Like people have been trained to think that forgiveness uh, automatically engenders reconciliation, which it does not. Um, and and uh, passivity with, you know, th that's a word that's much abused and I think deserves its own podcast um, uh, at some point. But shame and guilt are two very dynamically different things. Um, guilt is an absolute stillness or lack of movement guilt is a completely non-dynamic word self-condemning and actually kind of prideful word um which suggests th this this self intense self-focus and really it, guilt is idolatry 
if you want to put it in a, in the proper perspective, mm. um, shame is conversely completely dynamic. When we have shame, we are given the gift of the Holy Spirit doing exactly what He was promised that He would do. The the Advocate, uh, he, he, you know, that's the tap on the shoulder. Like I have transgressed, and all of a sudden I have this recognition of having transgressed and shame is what drives us to lay aside all earthly cares and unburden ourselves at the foot of the cross. Shame is that dynamic power that draws us back to the Eucharist. Shame is that dynamism that helps us to recognize that indeed we have, uh, worshiped ourselves rather than God and, 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 and rejected our brother and causes us to to be sorry and to desire wholeness where we have just indulged in disintegration shame is is the holy spirit moving us towards reintegration with jesus christ guilt stops us in our tracks and causes us to make an idol out of our fallenness and hmm. To believe, even I mean, guilt is synonymous with with um, <laughs> synonymous, and then I can't even think of the word. Um, <laughs> I hate when that happens. Uh, guilt, you could say, is synonymous with prelest or with um, oh, confounded! I hate when my vocabulary leaves prelest, me. Prelest, prelest. How do you spell that? P r e l s t. Um, Guilt, you could say, is is um, man. I'll have to come back to the word because my brain is is doing the record skip on the word I'm looking for. It's not even like a hard word to remember. Um, no, I know Nick's got his soliloquy ahead, but I, I would just <laughs> like to put put that forgiveness um, into context, the guilt thing into context a little better. I I often talk with folks about guilt about the fall in nature of our, who we are, uh, it, that there's some kind of consequence. Uh, we don't, you know, you, we, the mythic story, whether you believe it in concrete terms or, or not, there's somehow some way we humans are, are, are fallen. We're imperfect. And so, so we're, we're suffering consequences of sin. We're, we're born into sin. And, and then, of course, there's, and, and so there's guilt in that way. And then there's and, uh, shared guilt. And then that can factor into our whole social system, right? When we talk about systemic guilt, I mean, nothing that we do, none of our systems are ever perfect. The church is not perfect. Where do humans evolve? It will never be perfect. And then there's the guilt that we choose to do. Even sometimes we feel compelled to do it, but we, we do choose to do it and it's wrong. I mean, we cooperate somehow at some level with sin. Even if I was abused as a child, you know, I come from a history of problems in the family and at some point, growing into a mature Christian, I have to say that on one hand, yeah, I understand how I made some of my decisions. And some of my decisions were to medicate or to try to heal the woundedness of my past. But, um, and so I have some guilt. But at the same time, it's part of a larger thing going on with our fallen nature. And it, it facilitates my forgiveness to family and the forgiveness of myself. But it doesn't mean um, like God doesn't totally forget who we are. We are going to be looked upon as righteous, thanks to Christ. Um, 
And uh, so unlike some traditions, we, we will feel that if you are baptized, it's not like you become everything that you do wrong after that is just on you. You were perfect after baptism and now you're struggling. That is a key dynamic with, with Luther is that we're still sinner saints at the best. Shame is, is kind of um, putting what we're taught through scripture, the promises of scripture saying that confusing what we do with who we are, that I'm bad. I'm throwaway. I'm worthless I don't deserve to be good. And in a way, like Father Adam was alluding to with, with kind of a hubris, we fail. Okay, yeah, you know, the, the cross saved people, but my sin's too bad. No. Christ came to save all sin. The sin that you've done, the sin that you're struggling with now, the sin that you haven't committed yet, the sin of our, our world, Christ came to save us from all that. And so anyway, that's, that's, uh, I'll, I think maybe this is a good time to let father Nick begin or we'll never get out of here. Father Lou helped me remember. <laughs> oh, no. Sorry. Sorry, Nick. This is a short one. A short, this is a ploy it's... not to let Nick talk. <laughs> <laughs> we, we were in cahoots prior to, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm texting him as we speak. <laughs> Shame is synonymous with despair. Sorry, guilt is synonymous with despair, which is some would say the unforgivable sin, the sin of Judas. Guilt is what caused Judas to hang himself. If Judas had experienced shame, Judas would have been at the foot of Christ's cross like the thief, St. Dismas. That's interesting because that's kind of opposite of what I was suggesting. I don't know. I don't know. I, th- I think guilt is what drove Judas to... to they say Ju- despair is the ultimate uh, blasphemy, which is to say that the Holy Spirit cannot act, it cannot save. I would, um, I would compare shame to despair more than guilt, because, because I can know I'm guilt for doing something and not be ashamed of it or think confuse it with who I am. Uh, we're playing. We're 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 becoming we're becoming hair splitting sophistress like. Uh, well, we, we, we have to uh, like, agree on like what we mean by guilt. Like there's like a general guilt. Like this man is guilty of committing a crime. That's a different. Yes, obviously, if we did something wrong, we're guilty of. It, but that's a different thing uh, than guilt in the uh, personal. Uh, uh, responsibility and considering one's responsibility sense but that's a that's a whole other uh thing (laughs) well let me let me jump in here to segue to to father nick because this is the longest he's ever gone without talking uh, in a (laughs) podcast episode um but uh wait wait i had something i was gonna say and i completely (laughs) forgot it Uh, you had mentioned oh um when you mentioned the man-made systems being affected due to the fall, that is something that is incredibly pertinent, especially as we are in election season right now. Um, you know, this if you if you've been on social media at all, you've seen the get registered to vote campaigns and all that different kind of stuff. It's important, yes, um, but at the same time, you know, the fall needs to inform our politics as well. Um, because we we understand that humans can can create some okay systems, um, you know you don't necessarily have to believe that um, it was a divinely inspired appointment when the Constitution was framed, um, but you can say it was 
you know, that's, that's a pretty good document. You know, you can, you can say that maybe there were some people living out some Christian principles, but at the same time, there's still a lot of fallen people and even sinner saints that are involved in government and politics and policy. And ultimately that is going to be the fatal flaw in a lot of, in, in whatever we choose to do with the future of government. Um, and Whoever gets elected, we we will likely have reason to to be disappointed because they're human. Of course, yeah. I mean, if for no other reason than because they're. I mean, you can think what you want about the candidates, but any candidate right, for what right. anyone um, for no other reason no than because they're human. System. No, no. But that is all related to the fall, in my view. Mm-hmm. You know, no, exactly, and that's what I'm saying. It needs to inform. Um, maybe it won't inform who we vote for, but it will inform how much trust we actually place into. Um, the system to actually work any, any systems like this is going to solve all our problems. Not necessarily if we think that we ourselves are, are part of the problem in our, in the fallen nature. So anyway, that's just kind of an aside. Um, let's get to, I I am very curious as to what father Nick has to say, because he has not, he has not made a peep and it's, he's not even given an allusion to what he's going to talk to. So we're all on the edge of our seats. He's just been getting wound up this whole time. We got to let him fly. And we're ready for nap time, right, Father Adam? <laughs> I was going to say, you, you just said uh, that y'all were on your on the edge of your seats. I, I feel like Lou's on the edge of his seat because he's about to fall out of it in in, uh, in a snooze fest once I start talking. <laughs> I'll try my best. It do, I did drink hard coffee. Maybe that was prophetic. It's got coffee in it. I don't know how much caffeine, but it's got coffee in it. Which is weird because, like, alcohol is like a depressant it it like makes you sleepy and then the coffee wakes you so what's that actually going to do so it just cancels each other out right (laughs) it's a self-contradicting beverage we lutherans live in tension (laughs) (laughs) almost to the bottom of my bottle and i don't have now now you turn to me and i didn't have time to go grab another one so yeah well, at the high level, knock it, one, <laughs> knock it down and let's hear what you got. You have one in the refrigerator. Say what? Are, are there any more down? In, are there any more down in your fridge? Oh, of course. Well, text Sarah. Tell her to get some. Oh well, we we can. Uh, she'll have to waddle over to him to bring that bottle to him at this <laughs> that's point. Right, that's right. That's <laughs> right. All right. We we can pause for a, a beer fetching break if you need uh, us to, Father Nick. It's fine, it's fine. Once I start talking, I won't notice anyway. So uh, I'll. T- <laughs> oh boy, I'm excited and nervous. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, there's a lot of different threads uh, out here. I um and and I can't pick them all up. But uh, I'll, I'll let me let me say a, a quick thing. I'm I'm not going to engage. Don't don't say quick. Just whatever you do, don't say quick. Let me say something long and ponderous. There you go. I'm Finally, gonna, honesty. <laughs> I'm not going to engage in, in the <laughs> question uh, that, that Lou and, and Father Adam have been kind of bandying back and forth. I, I, um, I will, I, I might touch on, on Augustine and guilt, but I'm not going to get into that question. Um, also, uh, I want to say something about terminology real quick, which is that we, we've talked about, we've used this word liberal, but in this podcast, I think maybe last time, uh, talking about liberal Protestantism or liberal theology, and it I, it might be uh, worthwhile to just point out to our listeners that 
the word liberal when applied to philosophy or theology is a different word. It means a different uh, set of things than when we talk about, say, liberals and conservatives in American politics, right? Yes. They're not coterminous. So, so or when, is it different? It is. It's very different. So, <laughs> so for example, you're not afraid you lose. <laughs> so, for example, uh, it, you know, from the from the perspective of of a political philosopher, liberals and conservatives in American politics are all liberal because they're all in the liberal tradition of the West, uh, and uh, as opposed to say someone like Karl Marx who is, in that perspective, a conservative in terms of putting an emphasis on uh, the collective over the individual. That's one of the markers of, of liberal and uh, political philosophy is what's more important, the individual or the collective. Uh, we're all liberals in that sense because we all put the individual as more important than the collective. I don't, I don't, we don't need to go into that, but it's worthwhile also noting that in theology, liberal Protestantism is again a, a focus on, it's Protestant theology focused on the individual and the individual's experience of God over against uh, collective traditions like the churches, uh, the church fathers or, or something like that. So when we talk about the liberal Protestant tradition, these are folks from, from a guy named Schleiermacher in the 19th century on who focused on the individual and their, the individual's experience of God. And it, it, it even includes, for example, in some ways, American evangelicalism to the extent that American evangelicalism focuses on your personal born-again experience. Um, well, there was a lot of social history context for those two. Uh, it's not just about the individual. That's right. There's more to it than that. That's absolutely right. But when he's talking about Trelsch as a liberal Protestant, it's, it, it has nothing to do with American politics. Um, all right. So that, that aside, the you fall. save me hate mail again. <laughs> all emails can go to. <laughs> so, so the fall, uh, I think that they're going back all the way to the beginning when we were talking about the difference between the stories of, uh, the angelic or the celestial fall and those of uh, the fall of humanity. The very fact that we have these in, in the tradition, these two separate stories about the fall uh, points to, to something that I think is important, which is that we're, we're not talking about, from my perspective, uh, we're not talking about an historical event. That is to say, you're not going to get out your, your, uh, your history book and find that place in evolutionary history when, uh, you know, Homo sapiens, sapiens, uh, you know, became the dominant species over Homo sapiens, Neanderthalensis, and say, all right, now where in this did the fall happen, right? Uh, it's not a historical event in that way, though its impact can be felt through all of history. Uh, and uh, so it, it's, not, it's not historical, but it's also not eternal. It's not an eternal event because God alone is eternal. Uh, that's, that's the tradition. Eternity is an attribute of God. Uh, 
And that, that's why it was so important, for example, in the Council of Nicaea to talk about uh, Christ as being not just uh, homoousion or consubstantial with the Father, uh, but also as being co-eternal with the Father. Uh, because, for example, the Arians, uh, the, the folks following the uh, heresy of, of Arius, um, they said there was when the Son was not, right? Uh, suggesting that, that the Father preceded in some way, preceded in eternity the Son. So the Son is, in that sense, a created being. Uh, and uh, and this, this, of course, was rejected. Uh, by Athanasius, St. Athanasius, and, and at the Council of, uh, of Nicaea, because Christ is God in the flesh. So he must be co-eternal with God. You cannot say there was when the Son was not. Uh, so the, that, that uh, divine attribute is applicable to God. So the fall is not eternal, but it's also not an historical event. It's it's in this kind of uh, this this kind of um, what we might call uh, the the foundation of the world. So you, you sometimes scripture will talk about uh, Christ being crucified before the foundation of the world, or the supper of the Lamb being before the foundation of the world. That that uh, um, a Greek word that's sometimes used for for this in, uh, is pleroma, in, in the fullness, uh, you know, of of time before the actual, uh, as as Father Adam would say, linear time unfolds for us, uh, and so. Um, the, the reason why it's important to make this, this kind of uh, distinction is that it's to say that if this thing is something that has affected all of space and time, uh, it's not just something that's affected the human soul, but everything is in some sense twisted by the fall. Uh, and uh, so w when we start to think in those terms, then we can look at specific historical moments as being moments that exemplify the fall. Uh, so, you know, for example, the worshiping of, of the golden calf uh, before Mount Sinai is, is, is a, an, an image of sin that exemplifies the fall. The, more specifically for Christians, the crucifixion of Christ is a moment in time, an actual historical event that exemplifies uh, the fall and the fallenness of humanity. Um, and, and so that, that's one important point. The other thing that I want to pick up on uh, is this question of Augustine and original sin and original guilt. Uh, because Augustine was a voluminous writer. Uh, he's very prolific, and people often pick one little thing out of one thing he wrote at one time and say, this is Augustine's view. People do the same thing to Luther. You know, Luther wrote in a lot of different circumstances, and you have to weigh all of that together. Um, what Augustine does is he says... Um, he, he, he first 
inherits, we might say, a view of the doctrine of, of the original sin from a guy named Tertullian. And Tertullian was an important Christian thinker, not technically a, not a saint, not, not technically a church father, but still an important Christian thinker who, who had uh, a lot of influence. And uh, particularly, Tertullian was the first theologian of the church to write exclusively in Latin, and he was writing in Northern Africa. That's important because, of course, Augustine grew up in Northern Africa and was always better at Latin than Greek. Latin was his first language, and, and he never quite took to Greek. Uh, and so, it, so it's important because he gets this influence from Tertullian. And I, I want to take a few few minutes. I, I know I'm, I get long-winded about things, but I want to take a few minutes to say something about uh, Tertullian's view, because I actually think most people attribute to Augustine Tertullian's view. Uh, and so um, Father Adam's going to go make some more room, as he likes to say. And uh, just remember to turn your camera off, Father Adam. Uh <laughs> And your microphone, for God's sakes. <laughs> so, so Tertullian, Tertullian uh, had this view. He he was he actually called himself a materialist because he thought that when whenever Scripture talked about spiritual things, what it was really talking about was was not spirit as as a something totally other uh, ontologically from matter, but but spirit is like a, a kind of more ethereal material substance. And he thought everything that exists, including God, has to be material in that way. So God's, God's like a thin, ethereal material substance, something even, even lighter, for example, than, than say, uh, smoke or air, or, you know, uh, but still a material substance. And he thought the soul was like this, too. Uh, and and he, he had this vision of the soul that the soul would, um, you know, when, when, when a mommy and a daddy get together and they make a baby. Uh, how, does, how does that happen? I'll let, I'll let <laughs> Pastor Lou uh, get into the details, uh, the hair-splitting sophistry <laughs> later. Uh, anyway... That he, he thought, well, a part of the, the husband's uh, or the, the father's soul actually breaks off and travels with the fluid into the woman. I'm sorry to get so graphic. Uh, and, then, and then unites with, um, with the um, more heavy material that she provides. And then you start to... That, that, that will become the baby's body. And so he, he thought that the, the heavy matter of the body comes from the mother, but the more ethereal matter of the soul comes from the father. But eventually, the longer that the soul lives in the body, and he actually had this view of the soul filling up the body in the way that you might think that uh, air or, 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 or gas might fill up a, a container, that it eventually would kind of reify and solidify in the shape of it would still be ethereal, but it would take on the shape of the body. So that he, you know, he thought that once you died, uh, 
you know, the soul then escapes out of the body, but it still has the the lightness of the body because it's a it's this material kind of thing, uh, this subtle substance or ethereal substance. Uh, why that's important is because he had a view then that when Adam and Eve, particularly when Adam sinned, this introduced a deformation in the, in the substance of his soul that he then passed on via sexual relations to all of his children who then passed it on to all of their children and on down the line. So this is, this is the view of original sin that, that makes it sound like a venereal disease, right? And, and more often than not, when I talk to people about St. Augustine, this is what they think he believed. This is, this is the view that they think Augustine taught, and they think, and, and more, more often than not, when I talk to people, this is the view that they think the Catholic Church then teaches, because Augustine taught it. And that's absolutely wrong. I mean, it, 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 it's completely wrong. But Augustine didn't figure out his view of original sin right away. And he really struggled with how to understand original sin, even though he rejected uh, Tertullian's view of the soul. Augustine had the view of, of, of a spiritual soul. So it's, again, it's, it's not a material thing at all. Uh, and it's not in your body, right? It's the thing that forms your body. Uh, and so, so he doesn't have a view. The soul doesn't, isn't passed down like a piece coming out of the father and, and filling up the child. That's, that view is called the Traducian view, and Augustine rejected it. But for a long time in his career, he didn't know what to replace it with. He knew that there was original sin, as, as G.K. Chesterton says, original sin is the only doctrine that's empirically verifiable. All you have to do is look around you to see that, or look at yourself to see that there's original sin. But he didn't, he didn't have a way of replacing it, and that didn't come until much later in his career. And it's at that point that he kind of realizes that what, what it means is that the whole that the atom represents all of human nature. And so uh, it's human nature itself that is, that has the, the deformation of sin or the fallenness to it. And this is, this gets back sweet baby Nick to your point, which is that sin then from his perspective is not so much the a thing you do. You can do sins, you can sin, but sin is really about the twisting of your will so that uh, you, there's, there's no way for you to live a sinless life. Because Adam turned away, uh, and remember, we're using this language uh, not about a historical event, but about uh, something much deeper than that, something from the foundation of the world. Because human nature has turned away from God and the good, and towards the nothingness that, that is evil. Uh, it, it's enthralled to the, to the nothingness, to the void, uh, and is always being drawn to it. And our will is always being curved in that way. And Luther had a way of putting this, 
Uh, he says, you're always curved in on yourself because of this. Uh, so you're always seeking after selfish things. Um, and, and it's for this reason that you will continue to sin no matter how, how good you want to be. And of course, you can, you can look at Romans 7, the, the good that I want to do, I, I can't do. And the, the evil I don't want to do, I find myself doing, as St. Paul says. Um, so that's his view of original sin, is, is that the whole of human nature has fallen. And therefore, every human soul as, as, a, as a particular representation of human nature, a particular instantiation of human nature, is therefore fallen in just this way and needs salvation. Uh, now, that's not original guilt, but he does have a concept of original guilt. And that comes in in his debates with the Pelagians. Uh, and we don't need to get into Pelagius and who he was, but um, oh, we don't. It may, maybe another time, <laughs> but uh, but anyway, suffice it to say, uh, the Pelagians said that uh, that after you've been baptized, you could live a perfect life if you just try hard enough. If if you just if if you're an athletic Christian, if you if you're serious about your faith, if you just work hard enough at it, you could live a perfect life. And uh, and and Augustine, you know, we'll, we'll just say that Pelagius didn't have a congregation. Augustine was a bishop who had a congregation. He knew better, right? That, that even the best of his parishioners and even, you know, even the best of the, the folks in his diocese and even himself, despite their best efforts, uh, still sinned after baptism. And, uh, and so in his debates with the Pelagians, uh, what, what Augustine also suggested, he said, well, look, one way we know about original sin is because mothers rush to have their babies baptized as soon as they're born, just in case, we, you know, it's a time of high infant mor- mortality, right? So he said, just in case they die, they rush to have their babies baptized as soon as possible. And this, this should tell us that the original sin is true. But, it all, but he also extrapolates from that original guilt. So original sin means that we're bound to sin. That means we're, we're in bondage to sin, right? We, we, don't, we don't have the option. We can't choose not to sin. We're going to sin even after baptism, that we need grace. Uh, but but original guilt is the idea that because we're bound to sin, because we're in bondage to sin, we also deserve hell. We also deserve, this is how Augustine understands original uh, guilt. We also deserve eternal punishment, every one of us. Now that, that's Augustine's view. Uh, it, and that's, that's the distinction between original sin and original guilt in Augustine. Uh, original sin is you're bound to sin, uh, you're in bondage to sin. Original guilt is therefore you're bound for, for hell and eternal punishment. And, and Augustine's response, and I, you know, we can, we can discuss, because I'm, I'm not saying that, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm, I'm all on board with his view of original sin. I have some problems with his view of original guilt. 
but but it's important to to distinguish the two and to understand the two because he then says so Christ not only saved us from original sin that is we we not only get grace uh, to help us as we uh, as we are as the the chains of sin are loosened and, and we're freed from that but we're also saved from from eternal torment and hell but of course not everybody only those who are predestined and uh, so w- which, which is I if, if you're going to read scripture the way Augustine does was he Presbyterian well, this is where Calvin gets it from. And Calvin was just a really good Augustinian. And Luther <laughs> And Luther believed in predestination, and Calvin believed it, and even Thomas Aquinas believed ultimately in predestination. Well, let's let's clarify. Even even people who aren't necessarily Calvinists um, believe in some form of predestination. Predestination is itself a biblical doctrine, uh, at least in my, my understanding, though that doesn't necessarily... Um, Though there are different interpretations, whether it be like individual or corporate. But Calvin only, was a lawyer like Pastor Nick, so Father Nick, so he has to. Well, the only only proper understanding of predestination would be that the Lord knows already what our choices are because He's not bound by time. That's the only context by which predestination could even ever make sense, right. because <laughs> then that negates free will. Right. So, so, so. Well, hold on, hold on. As the only one that went to a Presbyterian school, has read Calvin's Institutes, don't confuse predestination with some kind of, you know, you you have no choice. It, it's much more. It's much more nuanced than that. You're not so. Oh, of course. To his credit, there is a, even though I disagree with Calvin on that. That's there is a lot of nuance to it. There's sure. a lot of nuance to it, and I think it's just one of those cases. It's just like. Dare I say Thomas Aquinas? He's got a brilliant mind, makes some wonderful arguments, but that doesn't mean he's always right. But you can still get some good stuff out of it here and there. He doesn't even get to that until like book three of his institutes. The first two are like, you know, great. They're, they're, this, this is all fantastic. And then he gets to book three and it's like, what the heck are you talking about? I haven't <laughs> even covered that in my institutes till book five. <laughs> Can't wait to read that one. Anyway, you're right. There's nuance, and 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 there are distinctions, right? And how you understand predestination in terms of it, are we just talking about God's uh, God's eternal knowledge of 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 how all things end, right? Uh, or are we talking? In, in which case, and, and and that's certainly a part of Augustine's view. And, and he's a compatibilist, so God knows everything, but that doesn't actually um, force us to uh, make certain decisions, but he's also got a view that's different than what what Father Adam's saying. And this this is a part where I I'm I'm also uh, I, I think we need to wrestle with Augustine. I'm not not ready to buy in whatever he says. And and in fact, I don't I don't buy what any particular theologian says. Of course altogether. not. Right. As, as much as Pastor Lou thinks that I buy everything that that. Thomas Aquinas says uh, it, it's it's not true. There are things I even disagree with him about. Of course not. He is he is his own he is his own one there. 
but 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 it is important to to recognize that, that the other part of predestination for for Augustine is this original guilt that we're all guilty, and Luther picks up on this. Luther thinks this too. We are all guilty and therefore deserving of eternal punishment in hell. Uh, and only those people who have ultimately, the, the saints who, who have ultimately been predestined in whatever way, whether it's by choice, or by, the, by a coordination of their choice with God's grace or not, or just purely God's irresistible grace, however you want to understand it, uh, that, that these people are the only people who will be saved from that. Because because it, all people are guilty and therefore deserving of hell. Now that that's a place where I think we could we could have I would want to have a debate with Augustine, right? But, well, that, and that's where where Luther was a little bit more nuanced than that as well, because there's indications from his writings that he didn't like to speculate on who was going to hell, because you could be unbiblical, and and so. Um, He's not as he's not as clearly defined as maybe you just presented it, but that's the way I heard it anyway. Sure, I mean, if you're not a believer, you're done. Uh, I think there's an element of more of you can be assured of your salvation through faith in Christ Jesus, but really, it's up to God who's going to be saved or not, and that's another discussion. Yep. Uh, right. So, so in that way, he's he's very much like Augustine. He's continuing Augustine. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I think I think that's all 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 I want to say. I mean, I'm not presenting my own position here, but I think it, it, for me it's very important to understand exactly what it is that Augustine's saying. That he's not saying that it's passed down through sex. Uh, he's not saying that that it's this traducian view. And there is a distinction between his view of original sin, which I wholeheartedly endorse, and I think even the Eastern Church would endorse. And his view of original guilt, which is, which is a much uh, more problematic uh, category, and, and one that that uh, could we could spend hours debating. I was laughing at Father Adam's face when you said that even the Orthodox would endorse it. That that was that was priceless. I would say that there are many points in Augustine's view of original sin that ring true. With, with orthodoxy, probably more do than don't. But there are some important distinctions. Um, I think that's the most you're going to get out of him. Uh, we call him St. Augustine, and he is commemorated on the calendar, but, you know... Begrudgingly I, I, I so. I defy you to find too many churches that have an icon of St. Augustine. Where did, your, where did your icon end up? Hippo. Where did your icon that Father Nick gave you end up? I think we said we were. Whoa. You should put it in the bathroom at St. Andrews. Oh, you know, I think I might have put it in the chapel. Wow! Wow! Dang, that's uh, a high honor. It's very generous. If you. not, it's in. It might be on my dresser, but I think I put it in the chapel. <laughs> you wouldn't lie to us, would you? Yes, he would. I mean, it's on the floor under a, pun, a bunch of other things. Yeah, it's I'm just kidding. <laughs> no. no, it's. I think it's in the chapel. I think I hung it up. I forget though. Where in the chapel? In a place of prominence. We want picture proof. <laughs> Photograph or it didn't happen. <laughs> Icon or it didn't happen. Icon or it didn't happen. 
if I did not hang it in the chapel, that was its intended ultimate end. It just has not, if it's not there, has not arrived there yet. I was but I'm pretty sure I hung it in the chapel. I was sure, sure. to get a new icon soon. I was trying to figure out who to, who to get. <laughs> just as an aside. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Well, Pastor Lou, would you like an icon of St. Thomas Aquinas? <laughs> Ooh. No, if you gave it to me, I would still, I would respect it. He is a saint. I'm okay. I like sweet I baby like, Nick's icon that. of Jack Nicholson hanging on the, on the wall behind him. Yeah, that's funny. Is it, is a true, a true saint of the church. Yeah. <laughs> For folks on, that don't get to see the video, we ought to, Make sure there's a picture of you with that icon behind you. Yeah, it's the icon of uh, Jack Nicholson from, uh, what's the name of that movie? It's The Shining. Where he's got his face through the door and he's saying, all work and no play makes Jack a dull bar. Here's Johnny. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. <laughs> all right. I think all right, we're, well, we're kind of like. Yeah, I think we're kind of, we're, we're just kind of spitballing at this point. So it might be a good time to draw it to a close. Hey, I got a final little quote here, not a quote, but a suggestion that, and we touched on it a little bit, but uh, hang on a second. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget what I was trying to say. Uh, That's good, considering you do that a lot. The foundation of the cosmos and uh, the cross is where, where it all began. Chew mm. on that one for a while. Interesting. That is, that is the... the it happened at a point in our time, but that is the, the beginning of all things. That is the ultimate love. That's the ultimate humility. I mean, and it is the humility that created the cosmos. So chew on that one. <laughs> it's a good, uh, it's a good bit of cud to have in your mouth. <laughs> Across, that's good. That's the, <laughs> no, 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 no. That's not what I meant. <laughs> I'm going to get letters. <laughs> all can go to to nick40 at gmail.com it's okay sweet yeah. baby nick's moving so if you mail him stuff then he won't get it yeah yeah <laughs> all right um i am i am volunteering uh lou oh boy to, to take us out this time all right the lord be with you and also with you with thy spirit Graciously, Father, we thank you for this time of reflection, this time of, of laughter, a time you've used to hopefully open us up to your will. Lord, uh, help us go from here refreshed and renewed, wherever we're listening to it, to face the day, no matter how difficult, no, no matter how fallen the world seems, to know that you're part of our history, you're part of our time now, and you are our future. Help us to walk with Christ through it all. Amen. Amen, amen.